Welcome to Conversations About Life. My name is Will Jackson, and I'm glad to be here with uh, David Powell. And um, I knew Dave when we were kids. We went to the same church, uh, Compton Heights Baptist Church in St. Louis, and we were uh, both into music. Um, one memory I have is um, when uh, we responded to some kind of ad for um, a band looking for band members. <laughs> I, I thought about that just the other night. Did you? Yeah, go ahead and go ahead and tell what you remember. Well, I remember that we were just kids, and these guys <clears throat> were older, and to me, they seemed like a semi-professional band. But they allowed us to try out with them. Um, I think they were just being kind to us, and I think um, you kind of instigated that whole thing. And I appreciate your gutsiness when it came to <laughs> that episode. <laughs> what what do you remember of it, Dave? Uh, I remember that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't. I don't even remember how I ran across it, but there was an ad somewhere that I responded to, and it may not have been in, like an ad, a classified ad in the paper. It was. Uh, it might have been like a posting at one of the Christian bookstores or something. Anyway, somehow it was. I got a hold of this guy's number, and they wanted to start a Christian band, and so I responded. And this place was. Uh, I want to say like North St. Louis County somewhere, like Delwood, somewhere like that. Because I remember, because we lived in, well, you guys lived in South St. Louis County. I lived in South St. Louis, and it was a little bit of a a trip to to get there, you know. Okay. And uh, so we meet in this guy's basement, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> and yeah, I I kind of had the same impression you did. You know, these were <laughs> these were grown men. You know, there's this full drum kit. There's uh, at least one guitar player. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, what have I, <laughs> what have I gotten us into, you know? Um, but yeah, they were gracious to us. We sang a couple of songs with them, um, and uh, they let us down easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Said you guys are not exactly what we're looking for, yeah. but um, it was. I remember uh, overall, it was uh, for me, it was a fun experience. Yeah, but. I, when I thought about that just the other day, because that that memory only came back to me like two or three days ago, and I thought, what was I thinking? <laughs> like if I had paused to think about that any longer than I did, uh, I might have talked myself out of it before uh, before I went up to do that. And uh, how I roped you into it, I'll never know. But probably because you were always a better guitar player than I was. <laughs> well, I'm glad we did it. Well, a lot of time has passed. And Dave has been working with uh, Bot Radio Broadcasting. Is that the official name? With yeah, Bot. Well, Bot Radio Network is okay. uh, yeah generally the. What's your um, official title here? My official title has changed somewhat over the years, as the job has evolved. I was hired originally with the title Production Director. My current title is Broadcast Operations Manager okay. for for this local uh, office. Because Bot Radio Network has offices all over the Midwest, really. Uh, 125 signals, give or take, on the air. Uh, some of those are full-service radio stations. Some of those are uh, translator stations, we call them, which actually repeat the signal of one of the larger stations. But with that model, we actually have signals in about 15 different states now. So – most of them are in Missouri, but we also have parts of uh, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Tennessee, 
Indiana, probably some other places that I'm forgetting. And we've got one station as far west as California. Okay. So, yeah. So the, the combined coverage area covers a potential listenership of about 50 million people. Okay, wow. Now, we don't have all 50 million of those people listening. I wish we did. You mm-hmm. know, we might have a, a better country than we've got. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, but the signal is there and it's available for, for that many people to, to pick okay. up. Yeah. All right. And um, you have a daughter. I do. And a wife and a son. And um, well, I'm looking forward to kind of catching up with you. So what's <laughs> been going on with your life the past 30 years? <laughs> I, I was going to say, how far back do you want me to uh, to start? I mean, I guess I could start all the way at the beginning. Um, you know, you know me a little bit, but uh, but not since then. Mm-hmm. Of course, people that might be listening to your podcast know me even less than that. So, mm-hmm. um, so it starts when I was born, uh, you know. I don't remember much about that. I was pretty young then. And, um, you know, from there, uh, <laughs> it takes a lot of twists and turns. So, yeah. um, so let me start here. Let me just go ahead and start with, uh, when I started here at bot radio network, yeah. um, childhood was, uh, probably not any tougher than, than for most people. My parents were divorced. That meant that after they split up, we moved around quite a bit. Uh, we started out in North St. Louis County when we were all still together, uh, but we ended up living in several different places all over South St. Louis. And then finally, uh, I moved to South County after I got done with college. But um, I studied radio broadcasting during high school because uh, we lived when I was in eighth grade right across the street from Roosevelt High School in St. Louis. The St. Louis public school system said, you will go to Soldan High School, which is about a 45-minute ride away on a yellow bus. And I said, how do I get out of this? So um, I looked into a magnet program for mass media studies, hmm. uh, and I could get away with riding only 20 minutes away from where we lived to go to McKinley High School and learn all about radio and TV and film and, uh, at that time, newspapers. <clears throat> And uh, all different aspects of media. So I did that instead. When I got done with high school, I went to Lindenwood College in St. Charles, mm-hmm. spent four years there, worked at the campus radio station. After four years, they kicked me out. They're like, you've got your degree. You can't live in our dorms anymore. And so uh, when I was looking for a job, the day that I went to the radio station to make my demo tape so that I could give it to different places and hopefully they would like it enough to hire me. Mm -hmm. I walk into the campus radio station and we had a big bulletin board right there by the front door. And there was the, the job listing for this job that I still have now that had just been posted. So I looked that over and I'm like, well, it's probably one of the first places I'll send my tape to then. So I did. And they interviewed me. And they acted like they kind of liked what they heard, you know, and I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe this will turn into something. And I didn't hear anything for a while. So I kept going on other interviews to other places. Once every week or 10 days, I'd call again and I'd say, hey, I'm still interested, you know, if you've not filled the position and I haven't heard anything from you, but, you know, what do you think? And, oh, yeah, we're still thinking about that. We've got some other people we're considering too. So, you know, we'll get back to you. Okay. So, uh, Time went on and time went on. And in the meantime, I'm working with a family member 
one of my mom's cousins who had just opened a business of her own. All right. So I was actually their first receptionist. It was, you can't imagine that looking at me, can you? Yeah. Don't really have the legs for it. Uh, the face either, but I, uh, I was doing that in the meantime while I'm looking for a job. And I finally got to a point of like a little bit of discouragement, like they're never going to call me back. They must have filled this position. They're taking so long to make this decision or they've already made it and they just haven't told me because it wasn't me. It was somebody else. So I had a job interview that day with the local NPR affiliate, which I really didn't want to work for. And I really didn't want to go to the interview. (laughs) And so, and you know, it was just, I was like, ah, this, you know, I just felt like it was, it was going to, um, interfere with my conscience. Let me put it that way. Um, because I had already decided when I was about to finish college that, uh, cause I drifted a little bit during college. Uh, I didn't, didn't really go to church during that time. And it wasn't that I ever stopped believing, but when you're out of fellowship, you will drift some, you just, you, you, you can't do it solo mm-hmm. very successfully. Um, so uh, my idea of uh, a rededication, I guess, of my faith was basically to dedicate my career, whatever skill that God had given me, whatever that meant, whatever that was, uh, I wanted to dedicate that to to him, you know, in, in terms of, of how I approached my career. And I thought, man, I don't know if I can, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that at a station like that. You know, this is not what I had in mind because I thought when I saw this, you know, job listing – I was like, wow, this, that's, that would be ideal. That looks like a clear sign from God. So when it didn't happen as quickly as I thought it might, and I kept looking for other opportunities, this was the most recent one that came up. So I'm on my way out the door to go to this interview, and I've waited until the last possible moment because I don't really want to go. You know, have you seen that T-shirt that, that people wear now that say, uh, I'm sorry I'm late. I didn't really want to come. You know, yeah. So that was how I felt that day. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to go do this. So I'm at the front door and I'm like, I'm going to call KSIV one last time. Maybe I won't have to go to this interview. It happened just like that. I got them on the phone. Oh, we were going to call you later today. We want to make you an offer. Oh, okay, good. Wow. I hung up the phone. The next call I made was to cancel my interview at this other place mm-hmm. <laughs> place that I was going to go because I was like, well, good. You know, <laughs> I don't have to go do this now. Um, so I called and I canceled and then I came in and they did make me an offer. And I've been here 28 years now. Okay. Uh, that's probably the long version of the story. Thank heaven for editing, right? You can take a lot of this out. No, we just go straight with it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, well, there's no telling where we'll end up because I might ramble. So sorry about that. So um, did you have something uh, against NPR or is it more like you were just wanting something that was more um, particularly Christian and that was more of a secular type of uh, job? I think that was a lot of it. Okay. I also had the impression that working in that environment, I would hear a lot of opinions that I wasn't sure – I could defend myself against. It was kind of a personal and maybe even a selfish decision that I wanted to get into Christian media, particularly 
because I felt like I had drifted so much during college. It was, I felt like I needed the spiritual underpinning mm-hmm. of, of being in a place where I would hear scripture pretty much mm-hmm. every day. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's probably not a good way to approach it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in terms of being a good witness and being a light in a dark world and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't feel like I was ready to go work in a secular environment and try and become stronger in my faith again at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I thought Christian media would be really good for me because, you know, hopefully that would steer me back on a better path as well. Yeah. So, um, well, how did you become a Christian, Dave? Well, um, so this will go back, you know, kind of to to the childhood aspect again that we just really kind of glossed over. When my parents were divorced, I was seven. And it was it was hard for me, but I don't know that it was devastating for me in the moment. I think some of the ramifications of what that meant took a while to set in for me. It took a little time for me to realize what what that was going to mean. Um, and I was an awkward kid and you probably remember that, but I, <laughs> I'm probably an awkward adult if you really get, get down to it. But, um, I was sad a lot. Um, I think I kind of have a little bit of a melancholy streak anyway, just because even before all of that happened, I remember periods when I was a kid of just kind of being, being a little, being a little sad, being a little lethargic, you know, not really understanding why. Um, but, um, that was just, I don't know. I think that's just part of my personality, but I was, I really, um, I really feel like I just got very sad, uh, at a certain point in my childhood and maybe didn't pull out of that until I was like probably into college or maybe out of college. The reason I'm going into that is to say that I think part of that is what drew me to uh, become a Christian. Mm -hmm. We always went to church. I don't remember ever not going to church with my mom. And when they were still together, I remember my dad taking us to church. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandparents always went to church. My grandfather was a Baptist deacon, stood out on the steps and smoked with all the other Baptist deacons, just like, you know, that's what they did in those days. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I'm, I'm being you know, a little bit silly, but, but seriously, you know, he was, I remember him being a devout man. I remember him being a very good man, um, a strong family man. And I don't remember us ever. I don't remember myself ever not having a belief in God because I was raised with that. I grew up with that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of me turning to Christ specifically, that happened when I was about 10 years old. Uh, there was, uh, we went to Southern Baptist churches all the time. So the church we were going to at that time, which was Bayless Baptist Church in South St. Louis County, had a week-long sur- uh, revival service, they mm-hmm. called it. And back in those days, they were serious. They did a week. They did Sunday night through Saturday night. They did the whole week. It wasn't any of this Monday through Friday thing. So um, we had an evangelist come in. His name was Lee Castro. He was uh, Mexican. He came in and he did the music and he preached. So he was a he was a two for one guy. So that was so he would come in, he would lead the music with his guitar and, and he would preach. So um we're sitting there in this service because my family made most of those services that week. And uh 
It was Wednesday night. It was right in the middle of the week. And he gave an altar call. And it hit me that night. I was like, well, I believe in God. And I believe in Jesus. And I believe all these things. But I have never, you know, made this step where I, you know, publicly went and told anybody else about this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I responded to the altar call that night. I talked to one of the counselors, which was one of the deacons at that church. And um, that is where I kind of mark the beginning of my own spiritual journey, you know, beginning that night. I don't know that I really believe now the the model that I heard in so many Southern Baptist churches that says, if you don't know the exact date and time, you're probably not saved. I think sometimes for people that are seeking for a long time, salvation is a little bit on a progressive scale, kind of like sanctification is. But that's where I would say I mark the start of my um, my own spiritual journey, taking it serious, making it mine, and not just the thing I was raised with for my family. And again, most of the major sinning I've done in my life has been since I was 10. Okay. It was after that point, not before that. All right. So there were times when I did drift away a little or a lot, but there's always something in my spirit. There's always something in my conscience that's drawing me back and not letting get me too, not letting me get too far away. Uh, at least not comfortably, <laughs> you know, there's always that, there's always that sting of conscience. There's always that thing drawing me back. There's always that thing saying, you know, you're not doing the right thing, you know? So, so how did you end up at Compton Heights? Um, well, that's a little bit of a story. So I already told her my parents were divorced when my mom was dating again, she dated a man who, um, he and his family went to Bayless Baptist church. So that's how we ended up there. So we kind of have to start there. We went to tower Grove Baptist church at the time, but when it looked like they were going to get serious, we started going to church with him and it was kind of his spiritual search that led us to Compton Heights because he really liked the pastor. He liked Willis Hill, whom you remember. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was how we ended up going to Compton Heights from from Bayless Baptist Church. Okay. And I was probably – well, let's see. They were already married by then. They were married by the time I was 11. So I want to say we probably started going to Compton Heights 1982, 83, somewhere in there. Something like that. Yeah. Because okay. I was <laughs> – the other thing for me was – because I was such an awkward kid and because I did have such such a melancholy streak, I tended to gravitate toward the kids at church more than the kids at school. The other thing was since we moved around quite a bit, I didn't make deep, deep friendships with the kids at school because I changed schools with some regularity. Um, and we wouldn't change churches every time we changed addresses and changed schools. So – when we – because your question was when did we go from Bayless to Compton Heights? I remember having a foot in both worlds for a while. I remember not wanting to give up my friends at church when we when we moved to the new church. So for me, it's a little indistinct to say at what point did you did you move? I don't know. I got to say it was probably around 1983 um, because I remember not wanting to give up my old friends and, and go to the new place because uh, I was concerned about that. I was concerned about fitting in. So. You know, you mentioned a couple of times, um, like being awkward. I wonder if that's just a normal feeling of 
kids um, because I don't remember you as being awkward at all. <laughs> remember you being a little bit more sensible, um, an artistic type, you know. And uh, wow, stuff. I appreciate that. Go, just keep talking for a while. I'm <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, um, well, you, well, I felt awkward. I will say yeah, that, and you know, right. I, I maybe it's just that. Uh, and I think this kind of uh, is is part of the artistic temperament too, that you tend to be your own worst worst critic. Mm-hmm. You tend to be your own, you know, uh, you know. So I maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just very critical of myself because I just am. I don't know. Well, you mentioned the beginning of, or what you mark as the beginning of your spiritual life. Has there been anything that's happened in your life, or maybe even something going on now that has? really spurred your spiritual life forward? Spurred it forward. Well, I don't know that I can come up with a particular event that I would say was, was, you know, as, as life changing. I mean, I feel like there is a certain point where you do decide I'm either going to pursue Christ or I'm going to pursue the way of the world. But by the same token, I feel like you make that choice again really every day when you get up, you know? So the different experiences of life that happen to you can push you in either direction. You've got to make that choice again. So, um, you know, again, the, the situation with how I got hired at this job, I would say that was one, that was one with that. I felt like, okay, I can look back on that and I can see the clear guidance and direction of God in my life, you Mm -hmm. know? And I feel like for me anyway, a lot of it is you don't recognize it when it's going on. You do only (laughs) figure it out in hindsight. You know, looking back, you go, look at what God did there. Like I couldn't even see it at the time, but, you know, there, okay, there I can see it, there I can see it, there I can see it. So if you're asking me to look back and find some of those times, um, gosh, um, probably one of those would be when my daughter was born. Um, because I have to tell you, you know, you mentioned at the start of the podcast that I have a daughter and a, and a wife and a son. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate thing in my life maybe, but, uh, that was the order. (laughs) I had the daughter first, then I had the wife, then I had the son. So, um, I, you know, I can't say I, I did everything textbook perfectly there. So, um, but even in those times like that, where I did drift away from what I say, I believe, Events like that are basically what steered me back, Mm -hmm. you know. So I would say, yeah, getting hired here, probably the birth of my daughter was one. Probably marrying my wife was was definitely one because uh, after my daughter was born, uh, especially under the circumstances where her mother and I weren't married, uh, I was convinced at that point I would never be married because I was just unfit. It was no nobody was ever going to want me after that. So when my wife and I did get married, that was, you know, that was a particular point for me where I was like, yeah, God is, God is at work in my life. Um, those types of things, I guess the reason why I say those were spiritual events for me is because those were the times that I can look back on and say, God is not only at work in my life, but God does love me, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I, I, I not only feel his direction and his guidance, I actually feel his affection at moments like that. Mm -hmm. One of the, um, interesting 
well, there, there's actually a couple of events in more recent years, though, since my wife and I have been married, which was eight and a half years ago. Uh, we took in one of her sisters. She's the oldest of 10 children. It's a homeschool family. Um, and she's number one. So I don't know. You guys have a homeschool family too, right? So I don't know if, if all large families or all homeschool families do this, but they, <laughs> they kind of identify themselves sometimes by number. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so my wife is one. <laughs> yeah. We took in the sister that is number three. So it was my wife, then another sister, and then another sister. That sister got into a situation where she was living where it wasn't a good situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but she came to live with us for a while. My wife was uh, in Nebraska where her family lives now. They used to live here, but they all moved up there for her dad's job. And uh, so she's up there visiting and she's like, we need to get my sister out of this situation. Can she come home and stay with us for a little while? Oh, sure. How long are you thinking? Maybe a couple of weeks. I don't know. Maybe a month. Maybe as long as two months. It won't be that long. Like, okay, just get get back here and get here as quickly as you can. Because I knew, even though I'm not going to say them right now, the details of the situation. And it was bad enough that I was like, yeah, you need to get her out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, four years later. <laughs> four years later, she finally moved out. But it was an amazing four years for her and for the rest of my entire family. So I don't always have the brains or the sensitivity or the spirituality or whatever you want to call it to take the opportunities when they come up in my life and do like the God thing when it comes along, you know, that golden opportunity. But this time we did. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was great because we live in pretty small quarters. We live in a two-bedroom condo. At that point, my son hadn't been born yet, but I, my daughter stayed with us part of the time. And my wife's sister was going to have to share a room with my daughter. And, you you know, coming from a large family, you probably think, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> you got five, six people sharing a bedroom sometime, what, you know. But my daughter had been an only child. So this was going to be an adjustment for her, and we knew it. So... When we said, hey, this is what we think we're going to do, we actually got her in on the discussion and said, you know, you think you can handle that? You think you can handle sharing your space? You know, yeah, let's do that. So the amazing thing about it is looking back, because I even got some flack from from family members like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing to your daughter? What are you going to make her feel like you're pushing her out of her own space? And what are you – are you sure you – yeah, we're, we have to do this. We're, we're in a situation where we're saving a young lady's life. I mean, just trust me on this. So, um, but the good thing was it gave my wife's sister the space and the time to get out of that situation, to start pursuing her own spiritual journey again, which she had not been doing, to start pursuing schooling in a certain direction. She's artistic. She's an artist. She's a very talented artist. Mm -hmm. And once she started going to school here, um, and started putting some skill and some craft behind her natural talent and ability, she really blossomed. And she's some of her pieces that she's done just as a student still hang in our home today because we were that impressed by them. Um, all these things just work together for good. My daughter had not a sister really, but but actually kind of a sister. You know, she mm-hmm. had that that the relationship worked kind of along the lines of of that kind of dynamic 
where, you know, never having had a sibling, now she kind of had that experience, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just all kinds of good things that looking back, we can go, that was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And had we not done it, we would have missed an opportunity to do something God was calling us to do. And we would have missed on the blessings that came out of it. So I, I don't feel like I can take the credit for the fact that she came to live with us and she turned her life around. I feel like all we did was we responded to the opportunity. God said, you going to do this? Without hesitating that time, we said yes. And now we can look back and go, that was absolutely the right thing to do. Hmm. And since then, um, you know, like I said, she she met and married a nice Christian young man uh, that she met in college. He's from Nigeria. He's a very tall, thin, very dark-skinned Nigerian man. She's a very short, very white young lady. So they are a striking couple when you when you see them. Uh, and it was funny. There were friends of ours that are like, um, <clears throat> "Oh, he's from Nigeria. Oh, oh. So is he? Um, is is he? Uh, is he African American?" I'm like, "Well, no." He's from Nigeria. He's just African. Okay. You know, so it's, it was, people have, you know, it struck me then. It's like, wow, we've, we've gotten so politically correct. We can't even ask what we really want to know and say what we really mean. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but anyway, yes, he is, uh, he's Nigerian, but he's a great guy and a strong Christian man. And uh, they're a great couple and it's, it's just been amazing. So that happened. Then uh, we sold some property because when my wife and I got married, we both had a condo. Mine was in St. Charles. Hers was in uh, North St. Louis County. And when we, uh, when we got married, we started living together because we were old fashioned that way. And um, so then we had one extra property we had to sell. Well, the property market, as you know, was really bad there for several years. We finally got it sold about six years after we got married. So the sister-in-law's out of the house, the extra property sold. We don't have two mortgages to deal with anymore or renters that we have to deal with. You know, all these things are happening and we're like, oh, now we can maybe catch our breath. Right around that time, about a week and a half after the, uh, the extra house was sold, uh, my dad's health started getting bad. Hmm. And we, so we were on that journey for about a year and a half and then he passed away just, uh, about two months ago. So, um, but that was, again, that was another, uh, that was another very spiritual time for me because during the last year and a half of his life, he was not married anymore. He'd been married three times. He was married to my mother and he was married again, late 1970s. And then he was married again for a while in the 90s, I guess. So uh, he was alone. He lived alone. He didn't have a wife uh, because of <laughs> the turns that his life took. He didn't have much property left either. Um, uh, not a whole lot of uh, even personal belongings left. Um, so I was – and our son had been born already by that time. So I joked with people, you know, um, my my wife is actually my son's wife because she's taking care of him all the time. And I'm my dad's wife because I'm taking care of him all the time. 
And that was kind of how we lived there for about that year and a half. But it was good because he and I were able to have some conversations that uh, that we needed to have and say some things to each other that we needed to say. And uh, so that was good. You know, there was there was some healing that took place during that during that time. And I don't regret doing that. You know, it it was another um, you might think of it as an interruption of like the plan my wife and I would have maybe set forth for our lives. Cause when we got married, we're like, this is cool. We're going to sell both these condos. We're going to go find a house somewhere that we both like, and we're going to start on this new journey of life together. It's not the way it worked out, but the blessings have been in the interruptions. Probably other people have told you this too. Um, and that doesn't mean that they come without frustration. Sometimes you still in the moment, you're like, oh, this is not where I want to be. This is not where I want to go. And this is not, how I wanted it to work out. But looking back, you can tell. I don't know if that even answered your question, but there you go. It does. Some, <laughs> neat, some neat stories. I appreciate that. When it comes to the Christian faith, um, is there a particular aspect of it that's most important to you in your life at this time? Wow, that is a... That's a big question. Uh, and by, I just mean the scope of it. That's, there's so many directions you could go with that. And I'm trying to think if, if, if there even is, is there, <laughs> um, state the question again for me. I'm sorry. Well, when it comes to your Christian faith, is there a particular aspect of it that's most important to you in, in your life at this time? Boy, if I had to pick one, I'd have to say the grace of God. Okay. And the reason I would say that is because having just lost my dad and being really concerned about his spiritual state, which I was pretty unsure of uh, for a long time, that I've had to focus on that a lot. I think I tend to focus on my response to God. Am I following closely enough? Am I doing the right things? Have I prayed enough? Have I read the Bible enough? Have I, you know, have I? Have I done my checklist? Whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, but what I came to find out about Dad was um, that even though I didn't see much evidence of sanctification in his life, Quite candidly, he had made a profession of faith as a child. I found this out from a family member. Well, a couple different family members confirmed that. And I found out from a family friend who used to go and, and help him kind of take care of things at his house when he was still healthy enough. He was living alone. And she said that two or three years ago, she actually prayed with him, that he she was there helping him clean the house one day and he actually said to her, he said, you know, I've been watching you and you're the real deal. You know, you're the real thing. And she, cause she would talk about her faith some and she had gone on a trip to Israel with her church and it's just different things. And, um, she said, well, you know, do you want to pray with me? And he said, yes. So, so where is dad today? Well, I would have tended to think, 
gosh, he is, he's on a road that's going to lead to perdition. This is not good. You know, look at the things he's done in his life and look at some of the things he says even now. And if you've ever dealt with somebody who's like in decline at the end of life, medically sometimes just things happen and they will say things that will shock you Mm. um, because it's just sometimes that's the direction sickness and illness and disease will take you. It will, it will take your mind away sometimes. Um, so I have to go, well, wait a minute though. If I believe what I say, I believe that God, once he has a hold of you, he will never let you go. It doesn't, there's, you know, it doesn't matter as much the evidence I saw of my dad's faith. If he really made this decision and he really took that step, I have to trust now that God in his grace, in his mercy, in his sovereign power will hold on to him just like he does me, just like he does you. There's none of us that actually earn it, right? I mean, any of us that, that come to Christ, it's not because we were seeking Christ so much as it was that he sought us. And he picked us up out of ever whatever muck and mire we were involved in. So that's if that's true for me, that's true for Dad too. So that's been my um, crisis of belief lately. Is okay. Look, Mister, at what you really believe and what you say you believe. Do you really think that God's in control and that He's going to uh, hold on to you or to anybody the way the Bible says He is? Or do you really think you have to work for it, you know, and you have to decide? And so that's that's the aspect of God that I have uh, – I don't want to say wrestled with, but that I've contemplated about and that I've had to recalibrate my belief toward lately is the grace of God. The fact that he calls us, he pursues us, he initiates the relationship with him. I don't and and I can't. And I can't sustain it on my own either. And um, so if he's done that for me, um, then I trust that he's done that for my dad too. Did you have um, like talks about uh, spiritual things, about God or anything like that with your dad? We did from time to time. He was pretty resistant about that with me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that was just because we were related. You know, I think sometimes people – I've heard other people say – it's your family is sometimes the hardest mission field you have to reach. You know, um, they see you at your best, but they see you at your worst. You know, they, <laughs> you say you believe what, <laughs> what about this time over here when you did this and this and this, and you said that, and you know, there's, <laughs> there's so much family history there that sometimes I think that plays a part of it. But the other thing was, he just was, he was close to the vest about a lot of things like that. Uh, he was a veteran in the army. He served in Vietnam. And like many Vietnam vets, he wouldn't talk very much about that either. Mm-hmm. Um, I would ask him questions about what happened around the time of uh, his divorce with my mom. He was pretty tight-lipped about that. Not very many details forthcoming there either. So it's there was a lot of um, – there was a lot of that where he just mm-hmm. – he wasn't a talker in that sense that he would tell you, you know – what he was thinking and feeling about some of those types of deep subjects. Um, so that was the, and that was a little tough for me too. But I think that was also where I had to get over a little bit of a workspace mentality just in my own thinking because I had, I think the idea 
in one sense or another, that it was my responsibility that I had to go save him, you know, Mm -hmm. um, or that I had to see evidence of it that, and the truth is again, and this goes back to the last answer, whether I saw it or not, whether I played a pivotal role in that or not, you know, that's not what saves anybody. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's God that does that work. So, um, so yeah, we talked about, or I tried to talk about a lot of different things like that with him. And, um, yeah, there were, there were times I didn't get very far. Yeah. So. Well, turning a corner here, um, what gives you confidence in the Christian faith, confidence that it's true? Well, um, to me, it's the only thing I can make any sense of. Okay. Um, I can't make sense out of an evolutionary theory. I can't make sense of a world that even given billions and billions of years can create itself when um, every five years you have to repaint your house. You know, mm-hmm. we know <laughs> from from science because a lot of times people will pit science against Christianity and say, well, I, I can't believe in Christianity because I believe in science. Well, actually, the two go together quite well. Um, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And uh, science, I think, uh, refutes itself if you want to uh, call evolution science because you know we do know that everything is in a constant state of breaking back down into its elemental form. Cars do rust. Your house does need to be painted. Things are falling apart. They're not building themselves up. And I can't make any sense of that, that, well, you know, things evolved and, you know, things are getting higher and higher and they're continuing to evolve. No, no, they're not. (laughs) Things are continuing to fall apart. And you can look around, you know, your house and see that with just the stuff, you know, that you bought five years ago that's now obsolete. You can see that with looking at the political process and seeing how, you know, countries fall apart over time. And, um, you know, it's just – I can't make any sense out of any other notion than there is a creator who is behind it, who created things intelligently, who set things in motion, who sustains things by the power of his will, because if he didn't, the universe would fly apart because it doesn't build itself. It's always in a state of breaking down. So that's why I I guess why I believe in God. But you can take that several different directions too, right? Well, which God do you believe in? Well, you know, you, you can you can say you believe in God and you can be a Muslim. You can say you believe in God and you can be a Mormon. You can be lots of different things. The reason I believe in Christianity specifically is because um, – and, and <laughs> I've had people tell me, well, you know, all the religions are the same. You know, they all tell you to do the same stuff. A lot of the religions do have a similar moral code. I'll give you that. But I feel like Christianity is the only belief system – that offers you salvation as a free gift because God is a loving God. I feel like the other, all the other belief systems you can name want you to work for it, which is the original sin, the sin of pride. I want to, it's the sin I was struggling with just a couple of answers ago. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I've got to go and I've got to make sure that I say just the right thing so that, you know, this person will believe. No, no, this is, this is God pursuing us, and it's because he's a loving God. 
people will ask sometimes about why is there suffering in the world? Well, I actually have a, an answer for that. I think there's suffering in the world because God gave us free will. I think God gave us free will because free will is the essence of true love. If you are compelled to love someone, that's not really love. That's slavery. So you don't love unless you're able to choose to love that person. And by contrast, you're cho- you, you can choose not to love that person also. I feel like God gave us free will because he wanted to know whether we really loved him or not. But also, I think that God loves us, and that is why he pursues us. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't be God if he took our suffering away without changing our hearts first. He also wouldn't be God if um, I could figure him out. Uh, he also wouldn't be God if I could work for for my salvation it would be i would be god you know i would be the one saving myself so i know i've gone kind of i i have really have rambled that quite a bit that's that's terrible that's a terrible answer because i'm not even sure where i went with that but the point <laughs> we need to edit a lot of this out can we edit this engineer um but the reason i believe in christianity is because um because i believe that Jesus Christ died for me and therefore I don't have to die for my own sins hmm. or live to atone for them myself perfectly, which I cannot do. Yeah. Well, I hope you clean that up. Oh, it was awful. What um, to you uh, from your perspective makes for a satisfying life? And you can be like real particular about just why well, do this each week or I do that, or you can be more broad if you want to. But from your perspective, what makes for a, a satisfying life? Well, I guess I'm coming to some different conclusions about that just recently. Um, I probably would tell you if I'm just sitting, you know, in the abstract and saying, what makes a satisfying life? Well, for me, Probably it's uh, it's having a quiet evening at home uh, with some nice music. Uh, you know that I work in you know a radio station, so I'm around a lot of uh, fun, expensive gear a lot of the time. So I like to have a good stereo. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to have my family around, and so I would say, in a sense, well, gosh, yeah, that that would be a satisfying life. But the reason I say that my opinion on that is changing a little bit is because that's very selfish. It's very self-focused. It's very focused on me and mine, you know, my space, my stuff, my home, my family, my, my. So it's not that those things are unsatisfying, but that's not enough. And, and maybe it's not the right focus because, um, some of the things that I've been doing more recently that I've been finding very satisfying are the things that I've been doing with the guys at church, hmm. you know, in, in other words, in community, not in isolation. Okay? okay. Does that make sense? Maybe that's a better way to put it is that I think sometimes the more satisfying things are when you've been able to do something for someone else and you realize the blessing that gives them and that actually gives you a blessing too. Sometimes I think you get more out of giving than you've given away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're an artistic type. I don't know if you're a reader, movie watcher, 
into paintings or that type of thing. I know you like listening to music. Um, but is there anything that to you is more than entertainment but helps you to feel that the world is more than just the material things that we see and touch? Like um, any kind of... Um, books or movies or, or art or anything that just kind of speaks to you spiritually, that there is more than just what we're seeing here in the material world? I can't point to a specific work of art or a specific film mm-hmm. or a specific, you know, example maybe of of any one of those things. But I will say that overall, and this, this again is, is something I'm moving more toward the older I get. Overall, I feel like all of it either points to God or it doesn't. You know, Rich Mullins, and I'll, I'll botch this quote, but he, he said something one time about nothing is sacred or secular. It's either, you know, <laughs> it's, it's all about God, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, or it's anti-God. So everything that we watch, everything that we listen to, everything that we read, I'm, I feel like I'm filtering it now more than ever through the lens of, is that really true? Is that really godly? Is that really leading us to, um, you, you know, uh, good righteous thoughts and directions in our lives? Or is it not? And if it isn't, maybe we just don't want to watch it. And I don't just mean for the four-year-old, okay? I don't just mean for my son. I mean for all of us. Like, well, as a matter of fact, there was a particular TV show. I'm not even going to name it. But it was popular about 10 years ago. It lasted for several seasons. And it was big talk. Everybody was watching this show. And you see it talked about just, you know, in in pop culture. You know, just it's one of those things that kind of took on a life of its own. And it, you know started being referenced in other other areas. So I'm in a – I don't remember where I was recently. I was probably in a thrift store because when we cleaned out a lot of my dad's belongings out of his apartment, that's where, that's where a lot of those things ended up. Mm-hmm. So I find season one of this particular TV show and it's all the episodes. It's like four DVDs and they want like $3 for it. OK. I'll bite. I'll figure out what this was all about because you know people talk about this thing all the time. I guess I should figure out what it was. And I watched episode one and it was horrible in terms of, I don't mean it was horribly acted. I don't mean it was a bad production. I mean, it was, you know, it was well produced, but it made me feel horrible because I was just like, okay, they've established these central characters. You know, I realize this is episode one, but they're godless. They're cynical. They're, I'm like, I don't want to go to episode two. Like this is, (laughs) this is not good for my spirit. I can't handle it. So I, I found that in, in my uh, artistic temperament, if we're going to call it that, that I am more sensitive now than ever to when I see something that doesn't glorify God, it hurts my conscience a little bit. And it, it makes me just kind of feel – and since, like I've already said, I kind of tend to have a melancholy streak anyway. Um, I don't need to feed that. What I need to feed in me is whatever is going to be – uh, well, what's that scripture? You know, whatever is good, lovely, pure, true, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about those things. Well, that's the stuff I need to think about. So when it comes to what do we read, what do we watch, what do we listen to, um, 
we need to read more C.S. Lewis <laughs> or or just the Bible itself or you know we need to uh we need to watch uh maybe less TV overall just because so much of it is has taken taken a turn uh toward bad stuff you know we've got several different uh types of music that that we listen to that um I mean, we say they're for the four-year-old, you know, like scripture memory songs, that kind of thing. But re- they're helping the whole family to remember different verses, right? Or to remember specific tenets of the Christian faith. So um, all of art, all of artistic expression, and all of that side of our lives, I feel like we're trying to move more toward what's going to get us closer to God rather than get us closer to, you know, the things of the world. Mm-hmm. If you could go back to some point in your life and tell yourself something that you wished you understood at that point, to what point would you go back and what would you say? Uh, wow. I don't know how to answer that because I don't know what the ramifications of that would be. And here's what I mean. If God is in control, he's taken us all on the journey that we've been on. And yes, we've taken some detours by the, you know, the free will choices that we've made that maybe took us in directions we shouldn't have gone. But God has used all that to bring me to where I am now. I could say, you know what? I'd go back to that point in time when I was dating my daughter's mom. And I'd say, stop it. You're doing the wrong thing. Well, I can do that. But my daughter wouldn't be here. And she's grown into an amazing young lady who has made her faith her own. And she's studying now um, to go into a career with, with film production. And what might she do that might bring someone else closer to Christ? You know, I mean, maybe I would go all the way back to childhood. Maybe I'd go back to age seven and say, God still loves you and it's all going to be okay, you know. Um, I don't know because I feel like it's almost like that movie Back to the Future, you know, mm-hmm. where he goes back to 1955 and he starts messing with things, you know. And um, Christopher Lloyd's character, the doctor, the crazy mad scientist whose, whose character name I can't even remember, he says, you can't, you can't mess with events in 1955 because you will change, you know, everything that comes after that, you know. Your actions here by just hanging out for a week in 1955 could could change things irrever, uh, irrevocably for, for 1985 where you came from. Um, and I feel like that's almost that kind of same question. If I could go back to a certain point in my life and say anything, what different direction might it have taken? And how do I have any guarantee that it would have been a better direction? Maybe it would have been worse. One of the things I <laughs> I talk to my wife about sometimes um, especially when things aren't going kind of the way we hoped or planned that they would, is what is God saving us from? What is, you know, we, we, this looks like an interruption. This looks like a detour. This looks like not the way we wanted to go. But what if we went that way and it was actually worse <laughs> than what we're dealing with, not better? Hmm. You know, and uh, so I feel like some of the, uh, some of the things that we've been through ha- have been God actually saving us from something that might have been worse. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I would go back in time and say, 
anything to myself except maybe, you know, God loves you. He's in control and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Have any thoughts about what you'd like the next 10 years to look like for you? Oh gosh. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, not just the last, not just the next 10 years, but, um, the next, however long do I have? Mm-hmm. Cause none of us know. And I guess I've probably been thinking about mortality more than I would otherwise, because we just went through a death in the family. You know, you, you go through that and it kind of makes you look at your own life too and think all kinds of things like, well, how much, how much time do I have left? Um, what will people say about me at my funeral? You know, have I done enough to um, help those around me? You know, have I given enough back? Have I made the world a better place by my having been here? And um, so, I mean, gosh, you know, I don't know. It, it kind of has made me, well, I've already told you that it's, you know, lately I've been thinking more about what I do in community being as important, maybe more important about it than, than, than what we do at home, just, you know, with my family within our four walls. And um, so I'm looking for ways now because I don't feel like I had a lot of this as a younger man, uh, looking for other men in the church that I can learn more from, you know, like uh, like in a mentoring relationship. And I don't have like a mentor I've identified that I meet with one-on-one. But just, uh, but I am like a part of a men's Bible study, and most of the guys in there have, uh, you know, are a few, two years on me, a few, you know, a little, little farther down the road than I am, and I feel like I'm learning a lot just from listening to them sit and talk about the Bible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do I want the next ten years to look like? That's that's the question that you asked, and I would like to see myself become a stronger Christian, a better man, a better father, a better husband. Um, and, and we do still have some ambitions. My wife and I still would like to sell the condo and move into a house somewhere. Um, we'd like to raise our son and have him, you know, uh, become a productive member of society and a strong Christian and a, you know, a warrior for the kingdom of God. I'd like to see my daughter, uh, graduate from college and, uh, marry a nice young man, uh, who's worthy of her. And, uh, if such a person exists, which I highly doubt. Um, you know, um, I, I don't know if I can take it in any more specific direction than that, because every time we dare to plan something, Mm. (laughs) it goes in a different direction anyway. And, um, you know, it's just, things haven't worked out the way I thought they would. I wasn't sure I'd still be here, you know, 28 years after being hired. I wasn't sure, um, well, I was pretty sure we wouldn't still be living where we are now. Uh, because we had plans to do something different, but you know, we didn't know and it worked out the way it did. And actually it's been okay. You know, it's been, so maybe that's what I want my next 10 years to be marked by is maybe just a stronger, <laughs> a stronger sense of surrender and release <laughs> mm-hmm. to God. And, and just, you know, that, that he is in control and then he's not going to take us into a place that uh, he's not going to sustain us. David's been good to talk with you, and uh, you, you've done a good job being on the hot seat, so to oh, speak. Oh, well, thank you. See, I was almost ready to turn this around and say, all right, listeners, you probably haven't heard the story yet of Will Jackson, who's usually the host of this podcast, so I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions about – but I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't think it would probably be good to just take over. 
Yeah. So maybe another episode. Who knows? <laughs> well, if there's uh you didn't ask me this yet, but I'm just going to jump in and uh, because I've heard you ask, I think I've heard you, maybe I was listening to somebody else's podcast about um, scriptures that, that might uh, mean something particularly yeah. to, uh, to some of your guests. This is one I read at my dad's funeral and it's from Lamentations three starting in verse 21. And uh, I usually go all the way down to verse 26. This has meant a lot to me just recently, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that's meant a lot to me recently because it it does help me recalibrate my belief to the to the idea that that God loves me, that I don't have to earn that, that he is gracious to us. And uh, we, I used to work with a lady who said she would talk about the scripture a lot. And she said, you know, the Bible says that, that God's mercies are new every morning. And that's why when you see somebody else going through something and you go, I could never do that. Well, you couldn't. Because God didn't give you grace to go through that. He gave somebody else grace to go through that. And on the day that you're called to go through something like that, he'll give you the grace to go through that that day. Because you don't get tomorrow's grace today or next week's grace today. You get his mercies are new every morning. And uh, I just that's – been, that's meant a lot to me because of some of the stuff we've walked through lately, again, with my dad's death. Because there's always stuff you have to do in the aftermath of someone's passing, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know – paperwork issues or, you know, the final expenses or just, you know, what are you going to do with the shirts and ties that nobody's ever going to, you know, use again. So, um, so that's been one scripture that's, that's been really important to me. And another one, which is very much like that in, in my mind is, uh, Psalm 136, which is several verses long and I won't read them all, but the key to that chapter is that, um, well, as you know, psalms are songs, mm-hmm. and um, this one ends with a chorus or a hook. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's verse 1. But there are uh, 26 verses to that psalm, and every verse ends with that phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever. Mm. And that's meant a lot. To me lately. So, so there you go. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Cut.